What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, of course, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. By your Drew McCaffrey? <laughs> yeah, I almost said my Drew McCaffrey host. How's it going, everybody? <laughs> <laughs> and returning once again after we have covered Jay Kristoff and Amy Kaufman's Illuminate Files last year is our own artist and great friend, Danielle, also known as Fel Candy around these parts. What's up, Danny? Yay! I'm so happy Woo. to be back. <laughs> yes. And she's joining us on episode 153 as Drew and I cover the 1998 fantasy parody, The Dark Lord of Dirkholm by Diana Wynne-Jones. And I am completely new to this one. I hadn't even heard of it before it was really? recommended here. So once again, we're handing off to Drew for this recap. Take it <laughs> away, dude. Yeah. So um, before I get into that, I just want to say I was also new to this. I had heard of it, but I had not read oh, it. Oh, I thought you had um, read it. My bad. No, no. Uh, yeah, it, it had kind of like been on my radar as a, like, oh, maybe someday if I want to have a little palate cleanser. Turns <laughs> out, someday arrived when I wanted a palate cleanser. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we were talking, you know, with Danny about having her on, and, and this was one of the books she recommended, and I was like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> so, The Dark Lord of Dirkholm. It is a satirical and critical take on the classic hero's journey fantasy trope. The unnamed fantasy world is in the clutches of a destructive tourist industry perpetuated by a businessman from Earth named Mr. Chesney. Each year, huge numbers of pilgrim tours descend upon the world, promised a traditional fantasy adventure featuring battles, sacked cities, and the defeat of a Dark Lord. The people of the fantasy world are desperate to end Mr. Chesney's reign, and several leaders seek out prophecy from the two oracles, hoping to find a way out. The result? The wizard Dirk is to be the next Dark Lord, and his son Blade will be the wizard guide for the final pilgrim party. The first half of the book is taken up by the feverish preparations of the world. Dirk and his colorful family of humans and sapient magic animals, including griffins, geese, flying pigs, flying horses, dogs, sort of, and many more, <laughs> are trying in earnest to present a good year of tours, but others in the world are working to undermine them. As the tours roll through, Dirk and Blade are still scrambling to make things work. The Dark Army is unusually rowdy, and many have deserted. Whole populations of cities are disappearing, and women across the continent are deserting their posts. When Blade and his sister Shona head off to guide the very last pilgrim party, things finally fall apart. The Dark Army revolts, shooting down Dirk's eldest griffin son, Kit, and setting off a civil war among the forces of good. Blade, meanwhile, is stuck trying to manage the willful pilgrims, including Suki and Jeffrey. Suki, who's really into Blade, and Jeffrey, who's really into Shona. When Suki is captured by Dark Army deserters, Blade and the thief Reville... Reville? Right? Do you want the French pronunciation? Well, <laughs> like, not... Yeah, because it's, it's kind of like a French name. It's close to the word dream, I, which is Reville. I, I've been saying Reville in my head this whole time. And then reading that out loud, I was like, that just doesn't sound it's like right. Neville, right? Like Neville? I, yeah, I say Neville. Revel like Neville. Revel. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, okay. Because Neville is spelled uh, the same way with the N, so. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Blade and Revel yeah. <laughs> pursue uh, Suki's captors. They discover an exploitative mining operation where the wizard Barnabas is working with Mr. Chesney's interests to transport magical soil back to Earth. Blade is captured and forced into a gladiator ring, only to find himself face-to-face -face with Kit. 
While they try to stall and avoid killing each other, the dragon Scales shows up and frees them. Meanwhile, Dirk is despondent and has secluded himself in his home at Dirkholm, blocking out many pilgrim parties in his sorrow over Kit and Blade's presumptive deaths. As all parties converge on Dirkholm, Mr. Chesney is undone by his own children, his pet demon is freed, and Scales reveals himself to be none other than Deucalion, and promises to teach Blade and Kit how to be wizards. The fantasy land, now free from Mr. Chesney's influence, looks to begin a new age. I managed to go through that entire summary without mentioning what the geese did. <laughs> That's okay. We have we have plenty of time to go over these. Yeah, geese. we'll talk about the geese. Oh my goodness! Bill. <laughs> All right. Who wants to start us off with style? I could, but mine's not entirely positive. So before we go into style, I want oh. to talk about just overall impressions on the book. Okay. Because I think like this was a fun book. Uh, it was the promised kind of palate cleanser. Like I laughed, you know. It was it was easy going, mm-hmm. but it was slow going for me. The book didn't pull me in really until the last like quarter. Yeah, uh, it wasn't that I disliked it, but it was like I'd be reading and easily distracted, and then I wasn't like you know chomping at the bit to get back to it. Um. Which is weird, because normally when that happens to me, it's because there's something I have a problem with in the book. And it's, and I didn't really have a problem with this one. So, I, I don't know, maybe, like, I think I may have had some, like, burnout going on, because mm-hmm. uh, I, I had a really crazy December. Um, you know, like, yeah, it, it just, yeah. Yeah. Danny? Well, that's really interesting, because I had the opposite experience. I felt like it was breakneck pace all the way until the last quarter and at the quarter I was like at the last quarter I was kind of like okay I'm tired now I'm tired of (laughs) this whole book not tired of the book but um I felt kind of fatigued after all of that because the way that the book is written things happen all the time like multiple things can happen in one page and Mm -hmm. it's just so many little different pieces are being put into place for these pilgrim parties that I was actually really enjoying that part of the book more than the actual like big culminating plot. (laughs) Um, And so you guys are new to this book. I read it probably back in 2000. So I was very young when I read it first. And I remembered the last quarter of the book better than I remembered the beginning like three quarters and I thought that the whole book was going to have the pilgrim parties with Suki and everything because that's what I remembered and so it was actually really refreshing to read it and (laughs) be a different and new experience for me this time yeah I have to say like I was surprised at how far into the book we got before the the tours started Mm -hmm. yeah like half the book is preparation that was part of my like I, I like the world I like the characters I like the story overall I, di- I wasn't a huge fan of just how much time we spent dealing the with pacing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the politics and the interactions and the conflicts that are arriving between the various parties that are trying to plan an event that we're consi- consistently waiting for. Uh, <laughs> it got really old there, but like Drew, for me, once we got to the end, once Blade began his little advent- no, adventure, yeah. for lack of a better term, once he kind of got removed from everything, and then we started to dive into what was actually happening in the world you behind know, the scenes. That really was, was kind of the, the tipping point for me. It was when Blade and Shona went off yeah. on their own. Yeah. And that was when I was like, like, like I found myself gripped by the story and I wanted to keep reading, you know, it, where like it was hard for me to put the book down. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, as, as far as just like the, the sentence level writing, <laughs> it was fascinating because there were moments where it felt a lot older than it was. So I, I didn't, I purposely did not look up when this book was published until after I read it. And I was surprised that it was written in 1998. I thought this was going to be like a mid to late 80s book. Uh, yeah, it does have a charm to it, doesn't it? It, like a, it does, yeah. A quaint charm to it, yeah. And, and so knowing that it was written in 1998, it feels more deliberate in in like word choice and and style especially in the pacing of the book and and the way the world building is approached like this is 1998 this is after rigorous epic fantasy world building has become big at this point we've already had eight books of the wheel of time we've had uh you know a couple volumes of a song of ice and fire we've had sort of truth is a big thing the rune lords is out you know like we have these big epic fantasies with rigorous world building and they're selling like hotcakes and diana Wynne jones decides to write you know like a a deconstruction of the style of fantasy from like the 70s and and i think that's really clever I, I completely agree. When I was reading it, I was laughing so much because of all of the nods to like Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit that it had. Oh it my was gosh, Galadriel. Hilarious. It was hilarious. Like to oh. see all of these funny tropes being turned on their head and made into jokes and like kind yeah. of slapstick one-liners it was yeah. excellent <laughs> i think a lot so, of those went over my head but i'm starting to <laughs> smile just thinking about it okay so you guys finished the book before i did or at least you were further in the book sure um because we we had our you know our little chat and you mentioned galadriel at one point and i was only maybe like 40 percent through i had not met galadriel oh, no. yet <laughs> And, oh. and you didn't say anything about it. You just mentioned the word Galadriel and were laughing about it. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then I met Galadriel. <laughs> it is a male dwarf. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Like, oh my gosh. And I... the dwarves were, like, extra dwarfy. Like, real stereotypes. Yeah. Oh, what's what I'm looking for? They had to be rounded up. <laughs> they had to be controlled. You know, they were they were kind of constantly up to mischief, and it was it was a lot of fun to see and them acknowledge it constantly. Too. They like ate all the animals. Yeah, yeah. The town. yeah. <laughs> acknowledge it too. They're like, yeah, I mean, you know. They kind of reminded they, they... me of like uh, the Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Dwarves. Yeah, so. yeah, <laughs> very much, very much. Oh man, but uh, I think that kind of brings me about like my next style point, and that's the humor. 
I thought there was going to be a lot more overt humor in this. And and so I got through a, a good chunk of the book where I was, like, waiting for it to get funny. <laughs> where I was like, I, yeah. is this supposed to be funny? Like, I... Like I get, it's a little, like it's satirical, you know. It's 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 kind of larger than life, caricature-ish. But like, I'm not really laughing at anything. And and I sort of forgot about the comedy aspect. And then I get into like the middle third of the book, and I I find myself chuckling like every other page over just some ridiculous new thing that pops up, and it, it like it was sneaky funny. Yeah. It's very subtle funny. It's just thrown in very uh, casually. It's yeah, like the last on. the last book that I read with this mindset of like, all right, I want some like popcorn, funny, fantasy palate cleanser was Spider Light by Adrian Tchaikovsky. And, and it read like a book that was trying to be funny. This book doesn't read like it's trying to be funny. It reads like it's trying to be goofy. But that's a different thing, you know? It's like... I see it, that. Okay. It, it's, yeah. it's not written with, like, the expectation that you're supposed to laugh here. And you're supposed to laugh here. And that's... Man, I'm learning so much about my sense of humor. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Dresden Files and Brandon yeah, Sanderson. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> this is one of the things that bothers me with Dresden and Brandon Sanderson. Where it's like, I feel like there are prescribed laughs. Where okay. it's like, I'm okay. reading the book, and the author holds up a sign... Laugh here, you know? (laughs) And I didn't get that in this book, where it was like, there there are parts in this book that I didn't laugh at that I'm sure other people did laugh at. And there are parts that I laughed at that other people probably didn't. And it feels like Diana Wynne-Jones just set out to write a goofy book, and she's like, maybe some people will laugh at this. You know? Yeah. Like, it it, it didn't, it wasn't heavy-handed ever. It was like, if you want to laugh at this, have fun. That that is a really good point. And I was I was just um making little post it notes in my book about all the different spots that I had to like stop and actually laugh. And one of the first ones was actually on uh, in my paperback, it was on page twenty seven, where um Blade is in the kitchen with Mara and Lida, and Lida is the griffin that likes to cook (laughs) and she loves it and um she she's getting bothered by blade and blade is talking to his mom and she's like do you have to come and get under my feet in here and the mother mara she goes yeah he does and the the line that made me laugh so much was lita's tail lashed but she, she said nothing the golden feathers of her wings and crest were loud with no comment yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. this is such a clever little sentence. Because it is. It's it's and, not and a those, joke, but <laughs> those are all over. They're all over the book. Just it's like clever little sentences. Like a little hors d'oeuvre and you can choose to partake or you know, move <laughs> yeah. on. It's not gonna yeah. interrupt your experience. Yeah, exa- exactly. It's it's just part of the flow of the story. It it never feels like, hey, stop and laugh at this. Yeah. You know? Uh it was great. Grab as you want. I know. Well, well, we'll get to that in characters. But, <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, uh, another. Yeah, so, so. Well, I was oh, going to go say another it. another piece of um, humor that I found was actually in um, how the 
the peasants and the people interacted with Dirk and he's so anxious and worried about everything and they're all just like laid back and kind of chill about it like resigned to it and as an adult I really identified with that and I was laughing really hard because I I felt like Dirk this time reading it whereas the last time I was reading it when I was you know 10 or something I felt like like uh, Blade, and so I was identifying more with different characters on my second read. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So again, I had a really stressful couple of months before this. <laughs> <laughs> I I was physically uncomfortable when we got to the point in the story where they talked about the clues. <laughs> where you had to have like 126 clues. Okay. And you needed to yeah, design yeah, yeah. all of them and make, and make like a different one. And then that was just the first clue. There had to be like a different weakness for the Dark Lord in each one. Yep. And it like it just the multiplication of it. I I was I was like oh my gosh. And they have two weeks to do this. <laughs> this, See, this is friggin' impossible. Like like I was getting stressed out reading that. Like. <laughs> But but Dirk did such a great job. He he handed it off to he the delegates. person who yeah, yeah he handed it off to the person who was really good at that was which was Colette. I I guess I need magical beings who can who, you know I to whom I can delegate tasks. <laughs> well, since since we're still loosely on the subject of of the of the humor and everything that's happening and, and overwhelming in its nature, like a, a large part of what I found hilarious which if you tried to explain it to me later might not sound hilarious unless you had the context was blade and his whole responsibility everybody's showing up at the town that is clearly not where it's supposed to be and every time oh someone my gosh yeah enters scene it's like okay i know i know it's not where it's supposed <laughs> yep. to be before you say yep. anything i know <laughs> just the, the complete frustration and the helplessness in the nature of knowing that everybody still who is going to arrive is still going to say the same thing right away i can i'm, I'm in there i get frustrated if like I'm frustrated when I have to like say good morning to the same guy at the same time at work every single day because <laughs> it's like I feel like I have to make it different every single time. I don't want to just have a monotone delivery. I don't want to be that guy. So it does stress oh, me out too. I'm yep. absolutely there. I'm invested. I'm inside Blade's mind as he's getting frustrated as everybody's <laughs> saying the exact same thing every day. That's me. Yep. Especially yeah, at 5:30 we'll, we'll in the morning. We'll talk about this later. At we'll like talk about negative that 18 later. degrees in the winter at 5:30 in the morning. Yeah, it's me for sure. Oh <laughs> so, man. Yeah, anyway. that was great. That was great. Yeah. And the, of course the geese. We're going to talk lots about the geese later. Oh, the God, best the characters geese. in this book, 100. <laughs> freaking geese, man. But um, <laughs> since we're still on style, though, there's just a little bit that I just wasn't really landing for me. I want to talk about that real quick. Okay. And it, it was, it's just an aesthetic thing. I'm not going to say it makes the book any better or any worse. I was talking about my issues. Okay, so... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the aesthetic issue that I had that I don't believe makes this book any worse on its own is that uh, it, it has a lot of the style issues that I that I, I had with The Black Company, for example, where we treat the passage of time or, or how the passing of time itself changes without any sort of page break or indicator of any kind. There's a lot of jumping around. This was compounded by kind of having like an um, omniscient third-person perspective, which made it even more convenient to just pick up and whip back from head to head, from job to yep. job, from day to day, yep. even in the middle of a paragraph. Like I yep. just, and I think it's indicative of my own experience with fantasy, kind of limited as it is, despite the fact that I host a podcast about it. Because I've grown to expect that any scene I'm currently reading is going to end where it needs to, 
uh, and then continue. You know, I've long since adjusted to and grown very comfortable with multiple scenes happening in a single chapter with these page oh, breaks yeah. that <clears throat> denote obvious scene breaks as we switch yep. to other characters or skip ahead in time. Writers with like Jones, though, when a scene is finished, it feels like it just, still just keeps going. We just crank up that time dilation. The next two sentences could explain their next three days. And then suddenly we're, we're back to normal speed again, beginning another dialogue scene somewhere else. It's very jarring to me. If we need to jump forward in time, I'm ready for a page break or a chapter end, but Jones just fills in that interim with a couple of brief sentences and then tries to keep the momentum going. And it, for me, it's just it, it's hard for me to get comfortable. So, But the, the humor, the world building, the story itself, all the elements are there. That was just a part that kind of took me out of it a little bit. So Yeah. That, it's funny. I didn't think of that um, uh, that comparison to the Black Company. Uh, that didn't cross my mind. I did wonder about the how the omniscient narrator would land for you, Rob. Yeah, yeah. Um, how, that's a really interesting comparison to the Black Company because I feel like. I feel like what the Black Company does, what Cook does there, especially in the early books, is that the most jarring part about it is how he'll he'll have an event happen that feels like it should be really important, and he's just like, oh, this thing happened, and then moves on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, he does it with battles a lot, yeah. where it's like, you know... Like, let's talk about this fortress, this, this like, strategically important fortress. For eight paragraphs, and then a battle happens in three and, and then he's, yeah. and, you know, and he's like, you know, the order came down. It was it was up to us to take the fortress. So we went and took it. Mm-hmm. End of chapter. You know? And then and then the next chapter opens with them, like, cards, two months later, right? playing cards in yeah, the fortress. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like, and so I never thought of it that way, because in this, it's such a condensed time frame. That you, you like, she doesn't really, like, she can't afford to skip over important events like that. Um, but I do know what you mean in terms of, like, the way, the way scenes are paced in a chapter because of that omniscient narrator. Yeah. Where, where you feel like you're getting comfortable in Blade's head. Compound. And you're like, all right, this is, this is what this chapter is about. And then suddenly you're like, oh, oh. Uh, now we're back with Dirk at Dirkholm, and he's dealing yeah. with Karita or something like and that. We're, yeah, we're also doing that with 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 just with the playback speed as well. Like if this was part of on, on a screen and you're watching the, the the speed there, it's going at one times one times one times four thousand times, and then one times one times one times. <laughs> one times and it's like oh okay, it's it, there's no scene break, there's no anything there. So again, I don't think that makes it any worse of a book. It just made it harder for me with my experience, which is I think a little more yeah. contemporary fantasy, a little harder to get entirely immersed in this world. So I'm curious, Danny, like, do you, like, like how much of a, how much of an experience with fantasy did you have growing up? Like, like what was your early fantasy? Um, okay. Grounding. So my earliest was the dragon riders of Pern. I started with that. Um, and I read eye of the world um, I went to the mm-hmm. library. I got Eye of the World. Um, at the same time as reading all of this, I was reading Animorphs. So that was like my genre. Um, all right. Now, Eye of the World had a cool cover, had these like, you know, warrior on a horse and, you know, super fantasy. And 
very close to Robert Jordan is Diana Wynne-Jones on the shelves in the library. So I pick up Dark Lord of Dirkholm and I see this knight on top of a griffin and it was perfect yep. for me. And so anyways, that was like my experience and that's why I picked this up in the first place. Now, as far so as... So your <laughs> first grounding like fantasy experience was fantasy from the 80s. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yep. Old school. Um, now, reading this book back then, it was I didn't notice any weird style problems because that was very similar to Anne McCaffrey. And yeah. um, I didn't have any problems with that at all. Of course, as a young reader, I didn't pick up on things that I did this time around. But um, like an omniscient narrator, I didn't know those words back then. Yeah. But I, I, I could tell... Uh, the difference between it, um, you know, between like a first person book and like, you know, Animorphs when it's written from uh, one character's point of view for the whole book. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I knew the differences, but I feel like the style in this book itself is very intentional to fit the really hectic storyline and it's supposed to actually increase the anxiety that you're feeling that Dirk is feeling and that Blade yes. is feeling and Shauna. <laughs> um, so I normally Rob, that bothers me a lot having like multiple things happening and time jumps and then something really slow is happening and then sure, something sure. really fast is happening. Normally that would bother me. But in this book, it's all throughout the book. It's not like one time or, you know, interspersed throughout the book. So I it does set a precedent. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I was expecting it throughout the book. It was a big change um, to pick this book up after reading, you know, uh, like Brandon Sanderson or something. But um, after a couple yeah. of pages <laughs> of, of getting used to Diana Wynne Jones's writing, it felt natural to me. So I didn't have a problem when I was reading it. Like, I, I really want to know, like, for our listeners, uh, I want to hear from you guys, Facebook, Twitter, Discord, whatever. Um, how do you feel about this sort of writing style? And when did you start reading fantasy? Or, or what era of fantasy did you start with? I guess that's the more important thing. Like, you could, you could have started reading in 2010, but you could have started with, like... Dragon Riders of Pern or Legend by David Gemmel or something like that, you know. Because uh, I really feel like this is something, as we've gotten further into Inking Out Loud, with Rob especially, where you said your two biggest formative fantasy series were Harry Potter and The Wheel of Time. Nailed it. Yep. And in different ways, they are both very modern fantasy. Mm-hmm. In terms of the writing style. Yep. Harry yep. Potter is is mostly from one perspective. And it's... It is third person, but it's third person limited. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's almost entirely focused on Harry. And The Wheel of Time... Uh, it was not the first fantasy to ever write from a third person, you know, limited point of view. But it absolutely popularized that style. Like... It, you can make a pretty hard delineation in in the way fantasy books were written before and after the wheel of time like there's there's a, a 
in terms of the the most popular fantasy series, um, there was a massive impact on the genre by Robert Jordan. And that's why it surprised me that this book was written in 1998. Because when I think of books written in 1998, like, the ones that jump to mind are nothing like this. (laughs) Yeah, sure. You know, I'm thinking, like, A Clash of Kings... The Path of Daggers, uh, Wizardborn by by David Farland. Farland. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking like Sword of Truth stuff, mm-hmm. you know, by uh, uh, Goodkind. I'm thinking Heroes Die, <laughs> uh, like by Matthew Stover. There, there's, you know, I'm also this thinking is... Harry Potter, you know, Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yep. and it's and and this book really feels like a throwback for that time. It's fascinating, like, and and that's that's why I feel like it had to have been a deliberate choice on Jones' part to write with this sort of perspective and this sort of, um, n- like, scene structure. You know. Mm. Agreed. This I, may I, end up being a lot longer of an episode than I thought. <laughs> we're thirty minutes in, and we're already, I, or we're still talking style. <laughs> I've also got to say, I and this, I have to admit this. I didn't really care for like seventy percent of the conflict in this book, which was planning parties. At at its essence, constantly dealing with aggression issues, diplomacy issues, animal issues, more diplomacy issues. A lot of this book had me like feeling like the stereotypical boyfriend at the shopping mall with his girlfriend. <laughs> Wants to flip from store to store to store to store, gets crossed every which way, makes a big deal about every little thing. You just can't summon the energy to give up. Well, it's the kind of like, I love you and I hate this, but I can see it makes you happy. So I'm just going to tag along and try not to lose my mind. So help me God. Oh my God, there's another diplomacy issue. Who's causing what problem now? And we haven't had this damn thing happen yet. And it was about 70% of the book where we kind of left a little bit of that behind geographically with Blade and then it really picked up for me and I was like oh this is still okay alright and I really had a, a reason to throw myself in there but yeah it, again these are all just aesthetic things they don't I'm not going to say that the book is any worse for it this is just why it wasn't like resonating with me Rob Santos personally as much as it does as I understand with other people so I have thoughts on this but Danny <laughs> I want to get your thoughts first um <laughs> I am a very busy person especially in 2021 and going into 2022 um Mm -hmm. being in school full-time work full-time i I do artwork for people i have a husband i have all these things going on (laughs) um i'm basically dirk and that's right that that made this book for me is i i felt his pain you know yeah (laughs) like like when he's there thinking as as mr chesney is talking to him and he's there thinking about these poisonous ants that he wants to create you know wrangling i'm like that's the word i was looking for earlier (laughs) wrangling yeah because that's what dirk has to be doing he's wrangling whole different parties and i i totally get it and that kind of conflict for me was 100 percent good like it was something i needed to read because i felt so much for poor Dirk. <laughs> and That's what I mean. Like I, it can resonate. I can yeah. see how it would really be completely And like I said, when I was a kid, I, I liked Blade's story more. And I liked Kit and Colette's story more. And Shauna a little bit. She was a little too old for me at that time. But um, definitely Blade. I was like, oh, this is Blade's story. Yeah. And now it's like, no, this is this is Dirk's story. That's why it's titled <laughs> The Dark Lord yeah, of Dark Dirkholm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, see, yep. for, for me, 
this was refreshing because I'm coming off of the Dresden files where Oh, I can imagine. Like I'm I am bombasted out. <laughs> bombasted. What yeah. a word to use. Like I don't know, I'm pretty sure it's not a real word, but bombast <laughs> is a real word. Uh but like I, I have had enough of that for, for right now. Like I, I have had enough of books that are driven purely by spectacle. Mm-hmm. Fair. And so having something that was pulled along by little, such petty concerns mundane <laughs> ultimately yeah like mundane great word um like it's it's world shifting for dirk and karita and and high priest omru and you know, like the the people of this fantasy land it's world shifting but it's still mundane it's not like we need to go win this mystical battle against the dark lord it's like no we're faking the dark lord because we need to survive, like we need to make money in our day to day lives and be able to afford to live. Yeah. Like, and it's not obligated to do anything. It's gonna do what it wants, what it, what it sets out to do. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. so, like the closest we get to like a supernatural threat is scales. Scales, but yeah, he yeah. very quickly becomes an ally, a, a pseudo ally, mm-hmm. like like a reluctant not antagonist I, I don't even know how to describe his place in the story like yeah he scales is a great character but uh but yeah and, and so it just the stakes were different uh the feel of the scenes overall was so different from the dresden files that it was like a breath of fresh air you know yeah. i i needed this they were whimsical oh. they had a very whimsical nature or, yeah. or feel to me a hundred percent you know, it, it felt um, very inspired. Go ahead. It, it, so we were talking about Harry Potter earlier. In Harry Potter, the absolute worst character ever, and I think this Uh-oh. is very Uh-oh. well known, is Dolores Umbridge. Okay. So <laughs> she's depends on your definition of worst. <laughs> well, you know, why I was going to, oh, <laughs> go on. she's correct. No, she's 100% correct. <laughs> so Dolores Umbridge is a very relatable character for kids who are reading Harry Potter, the bad teacher, <sighs> yeah. you know, the, the one who's bullying them and in a position of authority. Mr. Chesney is bullying all of these people on this world from a position of his authority and there's nothing they can do about it because he's got all these legal demons on his side and it's it's a struggle and that's a different kind of struggle than like the apocalypse or something but it's a relatable struggle okay how how much did your blood pressure rise and this is this is a a general your to to rob danny any of our listeners how much did your blood pressure rise during that climactic scene where every time somebody brought something up he's like my lawyers will take care of it mm-hmm. bro yep oh god what was that guy's name asher oh something my god that guy had me wanting to reach into the <laughs> into the phone and find something to choke even if it was just a stick of ram god like, that guy had that, me that was that was like one of the most just incredibly adult frustrations mm-hmm. i've read in a book Mr. in a Adder. long time at Ad, Ad, adder yeah. yeah yeah where it was like like, how frustrating is it when you run into something in real life that's just, like, it's 
BS, mm-hmm. but it's legally ironclad. Yes. And, and yeah, and Mother Pool and Dad Pool are literally government agents from I think yeah. it's Earth that they're from, yeah. and yeah. and they're there and they can't even do anything until you know the um, the illicit deal oh. that Mr. Chesney made with Barnabas um, yeah. came to light. But that was yeah, that was definitely a frustrating thing and something that we can all you know. Um, we know from our daily lives and work, you know, in our nine to five, we get it. <laughs> yeah. And this yeah. is my final style point. Oh my gosh. Did this book bring back like just intense hindsight of Blade of Taishal, Rob? Okay. How frustratingly ironclad and bullshit the Earth's just entire socioeconomic uh-huh. system is uh-huh. where it's like you you can't fight against it mm-hmm. you cannot fight against it yeah all the, the entire deck is stacked in their favor they're exploiting the fantasy world mm-hmm. and even though it is so clearly morally reprehensible if you play by their game you cannot beat them and in this book Mr. Chesney is beaten, not by playing that game. Yep. Yeah. With, it has to be. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna turn you into a a friggin' dust sprite and capture you the way you captured the demon. Like, mm. it, I love like, where that hint so, came from mm. at the end there too. Was <sighs> yeah, yeah. So that was my last style point. Do you guys have anything else? No, I'm ready to go into our individual characters, Danny. Any yeah, other same characters, good. Awesome. Okay, All right. with Dirk. Let's start with Dirk. Yeah, yeah. I like Dirk. I love Dirk's Dirk. my boy. <laughs> I didn't find him particularly odd. Like, like he was just a little forgettable to me. I had no problems with him. I just, I didn't really find anything to really jump in and invest myself with. If you could have like, asked me to describe him, like by look or really personality, I don't think I could could do that even now. Oh, I 100 percent could. Like but, I, I picture him in my mind clearly. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, no issues with him. I didn't think he was poorly written. I didn't think he had a, he he wandered far from the story at all. I think he served his purpose. I don't have any particular issue with Dirk. I Drew, go ahead. There was something about his this. Th- there was like this duality to him, right? Where. He doesn't want to be the Dark Lord. Mm-hmm. But he's by damn going to be the Dark Lord. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, he's constantly frustrated. But he's also constantly trying to find refuge in the other... In, like, his normal life. He's, he's like, at heart a really good person. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he's so determined to fulfill his promises to to do right by the people around him yes even when he's crotchety and upset about it and and frustrated and and he keeps trying to find solace in the idea of returning to his normal life afterward where he's like i can do this i can get through this as long as i give myself a goal of a new ridiculous animal to create (laughs) i just need to find the right one and so so we have this this like tug of war between his frustrations and his dreams and in in such a short book 
especially one that is not limited or limited third person or or first person it it does give time to other characters i i was pretty impressed by the way jones like established dirk's personality uh and and without ever like telling you what it is she never says like oh you know dirk's an obstinate man she never says oh dirk is passionate about what he does he dirk is eccentric like he never says that but or she never says that dirk never says that to himself like he doesn't describe himself Mm -hmm. um it's it's all just like read how he acts and see what kind of a person he is and I, I, I think that's just great writing, you know? Like, that's... Absolutely. I wish I could develop characters <laughs> that easily, like, effortlessly, you know? <laughs> yeah. Another thing about Dirk that I really like is his naivety, his uh, obliviousness. So yeah. the one <laughs> thing I didn't pick up on the first time I read it was his strained marriage with Mara. And this time Uh, it was an over, like a looming cloud over him. And he was a little oblivious about it because, I mean, they were kind of separate, but it was because Mara had her hands full with other things and she's enjoying her (laughs) independence and decision making on her own. Yeah. So, so this was, again, like, really, really efficient writing Mm -hmm. on Joan's part. She she establishes this conflict, this internal conflict where he's like, my wife is leaving me, you know, but it's, it's believable because even though we don't know what their history is and she doesn't spend time telling us much about their history, she, she tells us enough Mm -hmm. that we can understand why Dirk feels this tension in their marriage and why he can, decide come to the realization oh my wife is leaving me my world is falling apart you know she doesn't need to say like oh let me write this short story to explain the backstory and and you can understand why he might feel like he's he's his wife is out the door like yeah. she doesn't need to do that she's yeah. so efficient and this is one one place i i will compare to glenn cook it's it's that efficiency of words. Uh, I I I really think, um, again, post Robert Jordan, uh, and and this is not necessarily a good post Robert Jordan thing. He he proved it was commercially viable to write huge, and that gives you an opportunity to explain more as an author, and and, and you know and so pre wheel of time even authors who wanted to write epic fantasy multi-volume mega stories you had to be efficient like and and that's where that's where the black company comes into things like glenn cook doesn't spend time on things that he he doesn't think are important he's like the things that you need to know i'm gonna i'm gonna put that on the page if you don't need to know it i'm not gonna bother and and there are things in the Wheel of Time. There are things in the Song of Ice and Fire and Sword of Truth and Maws on Book of the Fallen and Stormlight Archive, Mistborn, like what, whatever your choice of modern, popular, epic fantasy is. 
there are always going to be scenes in there that, like, well, you could have cut that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If push comes to shove, that didn't need to be yeah. there. And that line will change depending on this the book. This book is small, and it makes efficient use of that small space. Yeah, it has a lot of times where he, uh, like Dirk, is thinking of a certain thing and it's telling you information about other characters or even um, people thinking about Mara. It's giving you insight into their relationship. Like Mara is a babe and people are like, how did Dirk land Mara? We don't get Uh, it. Even Karida's saying the same thing. She's like, come on, uh, this had to be me in the future and she's not old and crotchety, you know, (laughs) like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That so tension with Mara. Sorry, go, continue. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, she's being, like you said, efficient about it and writing um, writing sentences that fulfill multiple purposes and, you know, keeping it concise. Yeah. 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 yeah I like, and I look, like how... Mara, just in general, I don't have any notes on Mara really beyond, like, she's great. Mara's so entertaining. Like, I, like, like I get that she was in on it with Karita. There was this like women's conspiracy mm-hmm. to undermine the whole dang thing. Yeah, and yeah. Mara and Karita were like the two heads of the dragon on that and one. Karita was about to tell her. Did you did you pick that up earlier when when there, yes. there was this one moment when Dirk is like, "There's something you're not telling me." And she was like, "Well, now that you <laughs> mention," and then they get cut off. I think actually yeah. Karita gets cut off by the horses stampeding through but yep. i wrote that down in that moment and i was like oh, she was about to tell him something important here come back to yeah. us later and then it did yep. eventually come yeah. around it yeah and then she got trampled it's just, just like adding the whole, to but, the chaos yeah yeah <laughs> but but um, i think there's there's an important distinction here because while they're mara and karita both have like the same goals and they're they're enacting the same plan mara is so much more likable than karita yes <laughs> Yeah, so much more like of course. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that too. And I, I have to say, I appreciate how Jones like uh, treats tension in these, uh, in this entire narrative as a whole. Because we have, of course, everything happening in front of us. These tension between characters, tension for timelines, but there's also tension. The sources of conflict that are just tossed into the wings, like Mara, for example, where it's it's like a boomerang tossed into the dark, and you don't know where it's coming back from and when it's coming back but it's going to come back and then it did of course at the end and and this whole revelation with the spell that mara was under was whoa that was dark i'd I'd be kind of i'd have a problem with it if i was dirk for being like what the hell at least fill me in on this kind of thing but it was it it still felt appropriate you know yeah 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 and we're still on Dirk, aren't we? We're still loosely talking well, about Dirk, do we, though. Do we have more about Dirk? I just want to say, there's one theme for this character that I'm starting to appreciate. And it wasn't wasn't really subtle, but it didn't need to be because of the whimsical nature and the target audience of this book. It doesn't need to be subtle. This 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 theme that one can be unconventional, but still be brilliant or competent. And he still he did frustrate me a lot at the beginning when he was, you know refusing to let his his kids have any association with the colleges or, or the institutions or whatnot and he was just being completely university. closed yeah. about it the university thank you but it was uh it, he ended up redeeming himself for me you know he proved himself brilliant in his own way as he as was promised so like when awesome. like when shauna was expelled from the bards college and yeah. Then he and and Blade they go and travel there. That was like so heartwarming. Like Dirk is yeah. a good guy. <laughs> yeah, that's why like, he redeemed. Yeah, exactly. So, Blade. Uh, Should I go into Blade? 
Yeah. Do you have another idea? No, let's talk about Blade. Okay. Um, Blade is... Ooh. How old is he? I got the impression he's like 15. 14, I think. Same age as... Kit is 15. I know oh, he and right. Colette were born Colette the same are. day. And cool. Blade and Colette are younger than Kit, but not much. Mm-hmm. Because Blade and Kit still have like that really close bond. But Kit is just... Um, you know, going through things a little bit earlier than Blade, so yeah, yeah. The, yeah. In in my mind, the the so it's Sh- Sh- Shona is the oldest, yeah, mm-hmm. and then Kit, and then Blade and Colette, mm-hmm. and then Lita, and then Elda, and Don. Don's oh, in there. Is, oh, Don yeah, is. Don is appropriate for his character that you would I know, totally forget about Don. Don too. Right? Uh, poor guy. So I don't know if Don is older or younger than Lita, but Lita or uh, Elda is the youngest. Yes, Elda is the, is the and one. the little yeah, like more of the cat genes. I think. She yes. Has. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so I I thought Blade was fourteen. Yeah, I think that's about Around right. <laughs> With a beard. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's... It was so cringy, well, it but it makes so much perfect. sense that he would completely miss Suki coming on to him oh, as yeah. like 100%. a sheltered fourteen-year-old who's yep. like never he's he's never had any like real contact with girls was, other than his sister and Griffin. He and Shauna did yeah. not get along very well. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and and so like he's. And so it makes sense that he has this desperate desire to go to the university. Like, this is a 14-year-old kid about to, like, hit puberty, like, probably raging with hormones. Yeah. He's like, I need to get out and, like, learn life, you yeah. know? And and my power. dad is saying uh-huh. no. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, yeah, like, I, I, I think if I had read this book in middle school, I, I would have, I would have, super connected with blade yeah. like i would have totally understood him i understand yeah. him now but it wasn't like oh yeah i feel you but like <laughs> it, it's just like yeah. oh okay yeah that's a i teenage. think that that immature yeah. little teenager in me who really fell in love with fantasy still is in there somewhere enough to yes. resonate more with blade than many of the other, other characters in this book so i think that's why blade was the one i was whose story i was kind of most into it probably surprises no one um but yeah it was once his, his final quest began saving you know, Revel and, and Suki. The transport to Earth, gladiator match with Kit, betrayal from Barnabas, arrival of skills. That was a totally different book. Uh, <laughs> Revel still sounds wrong. Oh Revel. Doesn't it? I can't. Well, wasn't it also I don't know how to Revel, you can say Revel. 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 It could he, be like totally it's not obnoxious. even his real name. Doesn't he have like... Well, yeah, it's yeah. Regan. Regan, right? Yeah. <laughs> or oh, that's yeah. his fake like name. I don't remember. <laughs> it's not Reveille because... <laughs> uh, uh, that has an I in it. I like the Texas A&M mascot from the 90s. <laughs> like, oh. uh, but, um, Don't you hate that? Like, you see a word and, and you read it and you have, like, a vague pronunciation in your head. And you're like, no, yeah, whatever, cool. And then that, you hear it out loud and you're like, Ugh. That doesn't work. That happened to me, I think, in Water Sleeps. <laughs> with a particular, uh, what was that? Was he a priest? Uh, librarian? Something? Yeah. Uh, but Santorexita? Yeah, Santorexita. That was him. And and you said like Santa 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 Raxida? Santa Raxida? Santa, yeah, something like that. Something, yeah. Like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> something along those lines. Uh, but yeah, Blade. Blade was awesome. Uh, Blade was probably where I was most invested. Again, with hilarious uh, at the end, trying to you know wrangle as much as he can, being a fourteen year old with a uh, a beard on his face, trying to act <laughs> like a wizard. There's just so much uh, fertile ground upon which to plant seeds of funny. So I did like that. Yes. In the first yeah. half of the book, it was a lot of Blade and Kit. 
they were bouncing off of each other. Yeah. Like, you know, Blade looks up to Kit Rambunctious, a little bit, yeah, yeah. but he's also jealous of him because Kit is getting this aggression and, you know, he's he has his lion genes in him and <laughs> he's older, so he feels more responsible. And I really liked when Dirk gave him responsibility over the um, the battles and overseeing that because he like really sh- like shined <laughs> during yeah. that part. So, yeah. Uh, well, so do we have any other characters that we have a burning need to talk about? Mm, I mean, we're, we're already talking about Kit, right? Just getting some thoughts about Kit out of the way, I guess. Um, okay. I wasn't really particularly fond of him. He kind of annoyed me until he got smacked down by the dragon. And then suddenly becomes polite and helpful <laughs> to everyone. You know? And it broke my heart to see him revealed at the Gladiator Arena with his broken wings, oh. his clipped wings. and. Yeah. Yeah, it was just uh, I was so happy to see him though because I Yeah. I, I completely I, okay. forgot the whole fake out death with Kit. Yeah. And when that happened, I was like, yeah. no no no, wait, what? <laughs> I don't yeah, remember see, that at all. <laughs> my only issue there. I was just confused as to why everyone assumed Kit was dead because he had two arrows lodged in his body and he fell into the water. So he, he fell into the water, you mean cold drowning water? And nobody That's... saw him come out totally fine when you're bleeding cold water is kind of what you want isn't it <laughs> I, I don't know and he's a gri- like i just uh, he's a huge griffin just like uh, we spent the next few chapters watching Derek wallow in his depression while i'm like i thought he was about to go get him and like fish him out of the water he's drowning what's he nope he's dead as soon as he hits the water oh wow that that's unfortunate he's dead now well i don't need to go check i'm just gonna go retrieve that body when it's more dramatically convenient <clears throat> i mean yep. when my work here is done you know i was like okay I was waiting to see, oh, Kit's coming back. Where is he? It was very obvious to me. But still, it doesn't affect Kit as a character for me. I still like Kit. Well, he, at the end, I, by the end, I liked Kit. I, I feel like I was supposed to be more engaged with Kit than I was. Like, I, I never really connected with any of the Griffins. <gasps> Really? Not even during the Griffin dance when they were going back and forth. (laughs) Colette Colette was way too conceited. I love Colette. She's so self-absorbed. But she was the one that was most ripped open in this narrative as a character, I would argue. Okay. I I felt like everything everything about her was like, me, me, me. Well, yeah. Until it wasn't. (laughs) Until that was ripped apart. That was the whole point of her arc, wasn't it? I I didn't get that. Like, she, she, like comes to her like fulfillment when somebody totally unrelated you know like it's like Karita is is being you know all, all crafty politician ulterior motive and is like you're beautiful and she's like am I and then she goes around love just like that. asking everybody am I, I beautiful that. am she I beautiful she asked two people in once <laughs> at the same time well okay i didn't have a problem with that at all because yeah a a 14 year old girl is gonna like especially when she's especially when she is the brown one and then they have the two gold ones and kit is black black and gorgeous and then she feels like you know oh i'm just a boring drab brown and and then also with her little trinkets she took so much pride in those (laughs) and when the dragon was being like very polite to her about her trinkets i just loved her character she was drew was right she was she was very self-centered until she realized there she was shown dramatically that there are bigger things than her conceits and then she lost she thought she lost her family and that did enough to change her and that was kind of her arc for me i really liked her I, 
I, I she was too secondary a character in terms of that arc for it to really land for me. Okay. Um, like like it was there. I'm not gonna deny that she came to an understanding and, and you know, she comes out. She's like, I I'm I've decided I am sad. You know, she's like, I have yeah. realized I do have this empathy. You know, I I do have emotions for other people than myself. I'm I'm not totally self absorbed, but but it was so ancillary in the moment when it happened, where I was like, I was way more concerned about what was going on with with Blade and Kit and and Dirk and Shona, whereas like I I just kind of glazed over it, I I guess. Yeah. Fair enough. I I do think that a better uh, character arc for a secondary character was Lita's. Um, poor, mm-hmm. you know, poor bullied, chubby Lita yeah. who loves cooking and who makes and godlike then, snacks. <laughs> her godlike, godlike snacks. snacks. And then and then they find out that she's a long distance flyer and that's why yeah, she was putting the pounds on. Yeah, <laughs> I love yeah. that. I thought that was I, perfect. <laughs> that's another moment where I, I wrote a nice one for Dirk too. I was like, Oh, you are such a nice guy. When he told her he was like, By the end, I think honestly I was expecting you to be able to fly across an ocean or fly you yeah. know in, in yeah, one to the flight. to the old continent yeah. where the like where there are native griffins. Yeah. yeah, I was like, oh um, my god, Dirk. That was such the perfect thing to say in the perfect moment to say it. Like, uh, good. I gotta say, the like the first time I read like Godlike Snacks, I was like, okay, yeah, cool, yeah, she's a great chef. And and then and then somebody was like, Oh, you know, what what's going on? They're like, Oh, they're eating. Oh, godlike snacks? It's like, no, godlike <laughs> lunch. And and I was like, Oh no, this is a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. loved that. <laughs> One hundred percent. Like any any food she makes, yeah, godlike. <laughs> and Dirk brings back the little pastries for her, and she's mm-hmm. biting into it and tasting all the different seasonings. And yeah, <laughs> I just yeah. I don't know. Uh, she was very delightful. very cute. One hundred delightful. Uh, uh, shall we so, go into miscellaneous? Any other character? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm ready for miscellaneous points. I think. We're Wait, already over an hour. Oh, baby. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have some cutting to do. But, well, uh, yeah, I, we're, we're I have a question good. about a, a side plot that I didn't get. Was the okay. elves and their the lost brother Eldrith, who was a pilgrim. I didn't yeah. I didn't understand where that came from or where it even went. Like, it didn't... I'm with Daniel. It, it felt like sure just some... <laughs> Well, okay, Go so ahead. Professor Ledbury or whatever his name was, mm-hmm. he ended up being Eldrith. Yeah, Eldred. Yeah. Oh, became, and was they called Eldrith. him by name. That was the, and, the, the reveal, right? Yeah, and it was the elves mm-hmm. who were serving um, Dirk so that I'm they could get um, pretty. Um, yeah. But I didn't understand they were, their they point. They were dark elves <laughs> yeah. by, by Mr. Chesney's contract, even though they yeah. were just regular elves. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, that. It just felt extra. Like he was there. That's a good way to describe it. No, like, or d'oeuvres served up. <laughs> Want to grab it? It was established. It. it was built up, and it was concluded. But it didn't really do much for me. Maybe it's just because she felt like she needed to write some elves in there and kind of upturn that. Yeah, that could be that. Uh, you you got to check off of all elves. the traditional fantasy right, boxes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you got to get the dwarves, the dragons. Oh, but the that, elves, I don't like the it when authors do that, you know. though. And I but that was the point. This, so I didn't get that vibe. 
Yeah, yeah. Because it's a satire. It's like a parody, yeah. not a satire, but a parody of Lord of the Rings, basically. Yeah. Or I normally don't like it when it feels like an author is checking off a box, but I had zero problem with this one. I didn't have a problem there's with the outfit. checking I just off boxes, not. and there's checking off boxes. No, I'm sorry. I meant that I was like <laughs> agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't. I also didn't have a problem with this. What I should have said. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, like for for instance, uh, go back to the Dresden Files without spoiling anything. Skin Game, right? Mm-hmm. That that is a book that it, it's an urban fantasy, but it is subgenre a heist story. Yes, and. Jim Butcher made sure he checks off the boxes of a heist story, mm-hmm. of a of a modern heist. I think that made right? my favorite of all the Dresden Files books. It was it? second favorite. I believe it was second favorite for both of us, right? And oh, yeah, Cold we Days were like was our favorite. vibing 100% on those. <laughs> yeah, Cold yeah. Days. yeah, we yeah, were yeah. we were really close. Um, but yeah, I, so it was like when you're when you're writing, when you're going out of your way to write a certain kind of story, uh especially if you're engaging in a dialogue with past stories of that type or or if you're twisting tropes of mm-hmm. that kind of story there are boxes you have to check off to make it an efficient uh uh not, not even efficient a, an effective story that's a little different from something like trying to think yeah. if there's anything we've we've covered on the podcast if it's a, i mean the one that jumps to my mind immediately is last call at the nightshade lounge by paul kruger where where it was like he came up with this really neat idea and then he got bogged down where he's like i have a diversity checklist that oh, i need to make yeah. every character check off one of these boxes and and he ends up spending way more time having at least one character be a, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, like, yeah. and kind of lost the thread of the premise of the story, For, and he yeah. didn't spend any time actually developing any of these characters. He was just like, I right. need to have That's a the character distinction. like this, and a when character like that. Primary and, character, even, yeah. yeah, when somebody's primary character trait is that, could potentially be that diversity checklist, is when right. I begin to grow an issue with it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, okay, here here's one we can we can bring up that we've covered on the podcast uh, with the Reckoners, Cody, who's like, look at how Canadian I am. Why did you say? Why did you say? <laughs> you know, <C-word>? like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it, it's that sort of thing where it's like the character's primary attribute is their physical description. You know, like it's like I'm I'm Canadian. Let me let me bring up all of these Canadian things. You, you know, like that is Scottish. friggin' Cody. Oh, oh no, uh, no. Who's the Canadian dude? In uh, Abraham. Abraham. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's his thing. Like, like his whole thing is I'm Canadian. What? No, it is not. Like, his whole big thing uh, is he's strong and silent. I, I'm gonna fight you on that one. That's not my reading of him. I'm gonna fight like, you on that one. <laughs> but like, I mean, we talked about this on our episodes where it was like it was so overblown of like, let me show you how Canadian I am, mm-hmm. eh? That you know, sound like something <laughs> I would agree with. I'm gonna. I, yeah, I haven't listened to those episodes recently. But As our resident Canadian, like... Rob is taking offense to this. <laughs> no, that, that sounds like so. That's my point. Is that sounds like something? If he was, I would totally take offense to if Abraham was a Canadian caricature. But I didn't get that vibe at all. I don't remember. Getting... Yeah. So it's like, like I get that when you have a secondary character, sometimes you like 
you have limited space in which to develop them. Mm-hmm. And and a certain attribute has to be like over overriding defining for them. Mm-hmm. But when every character in your in your story is other than your main character and maybe the love interest is like all right they are they are defined by their like what's your skin color what's your nationality what's your sexuality yeah. what's your gender like if if that's the only thing or of if it's just the majority part of your character even. Yeah, yeah like i still want to see and, more than that and that was that was where i felt like last call at the nightshade lounge fell in where it really felt like he he sat down to write that book and every time he brought in a new character he was like all right let me consult my diversity checklist and make make sure that i have every box checked off and so none of the characters felt like they had any soul it was just all about like how do you identify and and so when i talk about a checklist in this story it's a very different sort of checklist where where it's like i i need to make sure i hit these classic tropes so that i can comment on them mm-hmm. or riff on them or foil them you know actually and, and that's a very a deeper, interesting you know um if you go on the i think it's tv tropes website they have an article on dark lord of dark home and it's really long yeah so they hit nice. lots and lots of tropes and it's funny because as you're as you're reading the list you're like oh I forgot about that one or something like um I can't remember any any in particular <laughs> but if you look at those on TV tropes it it shows how much of a parody this is. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. So unfortunately we didn't have any huskies named Duke in Dark Lord of Darkholm but we did have geese. We oh did goodness. have geese and they're also black and white just like the uh aforementioned husky. <laughs> I love those geese. Yeah, the, I was saving the geese till my favorite scenes. Yeah, but oh my oh, god. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. I cannot blame you. These geese are so good that they just kind of need to. They're they're in my favorite scenes too. So 100. Yeah. percent I I liked the geese, but I also loved the carnivorous sheep. The carnivorous sheep <laughs> yes. were my favorite. That was the spot for me until the geese came in, and I didn't. I was like a child throwing away a toy. I was like, yeah, all right, when you're they're done. on the march, and, and he's like yep. the only time these sheep have ever been useful at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then we keep the getting, criminals. and then we keep learning what they're up to behind the scenes. The yeah, characters yeah. complaining about them, yeah. just the direct damage they're causing. It's so much. Oh. Oh, and then the friendly uh, cows. The friendly cows. They were so sweet, and the poor things kept getting eaten. And Dirk's yes. like, "Would you like a friendly Dirk, cow? Would you like a friendly cow to scales?" I was yeah. like, "Why would you say such a thing?" <laughs> they're they're all like, even even Dirk is like, "Let me throw these away." Like, <laughs> whoa, like man. here, let me give you a friendly that was the cow. The only to thing eat. that <laughs> gave me a gave me pause on Dirk. I was like, "Wait a second, dude." That I mean, is... that's what they were bred for. That's what he did I that know, they, like to make them were. stupid, so that they didn't yeah. realize that they were for fun. That's even worse. <laughs> what are you? Imagine, imagine breeding like animals to make them dumber and more trusting and friendly. To, that's I mean, a horrible what do you think thing that do? they're doing? <laughs> and yeah. and what oh. other animal? Oh, the flying pigs were always up to flying no good. Pigs. And then when yeah. the elves came and, in and, and they uh, saw the pigs uh, items of prophecy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so good. <laughs> I oh, loved I all of Dirk's thing. inventions and oh, creations. <laughs> I, I I learned a couple of new words in this book. They oh, yeah. were. Lissom or lysum. I'm pretty sure it's mm-hmm. lissom, which is thin, supple, or graceful. And I also learned gorse, which sounded horrible. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, oh that's so not too bad. 
A spiny perennial evergreen yeah, shrub. A, hmm, yeah. yeah. Didn't know that. I heard. I saw. I read gorse, and I was like, oh god. Do I want to look this up? Man, I, I learned a new gorse word too. Is in the Wheel of Time, actually. Is it? I, I want to say Robert Jordan uses it in the Eye of the World during a certain sequence with Egwene and Perrin. Dude, if that's legit, we're going to have to have a talk about your... Uh, an intervention about your Wheel of Time reading. <laughs> I'm going to have to seriously say, dude, seriously? <laughs> I think he uses that during during that sequence. Of course, you anyway. know what? If it was something like formative and how you learned the word since you started the Wheel of Time at such a young age as well, I could see that being a thing, yeah. yeah, I, yeah I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, because... Yeah. No, right, anyway, sorry, Danny. Well, I was going to say ahead. I learned a new word too, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> so I guess oh, okay. I didn't learn so it that was well. just, But I she remember was just trying to think of it this whole time. At, what? As I was reading the book, I remember putting my finger on the word to like long press it like on the oh, Kindle no. so right, that I could yeah, see right. what the word and now I can't remember what the word was. Darn it. Um, <laughs> if I remember it, I'll put it in the Discord or somewhere. Definitely. Oh yeah, until then too, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, excited for us to cover Gene Wolf like in depth eventually, and then oh, it'll, yeah. it, it won't it won't be Rob doing I learned a new word. It'll be Drew doing I learned a new word <laughs> yeah, like yeah. twenty times an episode. Right, it'll be Rob trying to learn a new language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. oh god, yeah. That, that'll we'll we'll have to figure out what we do there. But. It'll be a lot of fun though. Uh, so favorite scenes. Do we have any more miscellaneous? Shall we head into fi- uh, favorite scenes? I think yeah. I've hit all of my talking points. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet. All right, all right. Yeah, honorable Rob, mentions. Rob, do you want to start us off? I just want to give one honorable mention out of the way, and that's Calette unleashing her anger finally and rightfully at Mr. Adder. The mm. way he leaves blubbering like a toddler. Mr. Yeah. Chesney was hearing this. Shut, get, the, get out of here. <laughs> Mr. Chesney was hearing this. God, I want to just reach through that page. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, honor any other honorable mentions before I go into number three, though, because I always cheat. By I doing had that, a so I had a runner up. Go for it. I loved the part where Colette was showing the new dragon all of her trinkets, uh, and the dragon was yeah. being so careful not to offend her. And she's like, "Oh, these are very interesting." Yeah. You know, <laughs> I was I I was laughing so much at that when I had like tears. <laughs> yeah. Nice, Good. nice. So wholesome. It's so wholesome. It is. <laughs> All right, Drew. Oh. Any honorable, honorable mentions? Okay. Uh, not Rob, number three. What do you okay. got? Chapter seven. Dirk, with all the instructions and protocols and objects around him, trying to summon a demon like he's building IKEA furniture. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. All right, number three, Danny. Um. Oh gosh, I didn't put them in order. Let's just say. Uh, when Karita was trying to trick Colette into staying with her, and oh, she oh, had yeah. all of, and Colette kept interrupting her and saying, "Oh, Dirk said not not to do this," and yeah. um, so then she goes, "Oh, you're just, I wish people would understand how beautiful you were," you know. <laughs> I really yeah, like that, that scene. Right I button. thought that was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice. Karita correctly, accurately diagnosed the situation. <laughs> yeah, Drew, your third favorite. Uh, my third favorite was uh, you got to dare the geese. Yes. Oh, God, it was so good. These are okay. These, these geese. Every single scene. This is my. I'm just gonna go into number one. I'm sorry. Oh I won't have any up for you guys. Okay. Every every scene with these geese or these gooses, geese, whatever. They're they're, pro- they're my favorite fantasy creature ever. I I was just raving about Hesho and the Kitson from Sanderson Skyward series as a, they're a close second now 
these geese have all the personality. The, the creatures in this world, from the, the hyper-intelligent cobra chickens that we're talking about right now, the carnivorous <laughs> sheep, the friendly cows, all of their gold. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to meet the, the friendly cows' cousins, though, the dickhead cows. But the, <laughs> the geese would take the cake. And it took that one scene, Drew, for, that, to de- for me to decide that. Who wants to hurt humans? And the geese are all conferring. The geese can't be. This is too good. It's got to be a catch. And the tries explaining. He's like, well, yeah, you could be hurt. But you get to hurt people. And then Calette's like, bruh, I got this. What? You just got mali- to manipulate them. And she turns to the geese. Why are you all scared? And the pandemonium as they all try and scramble <laughs> in at once. You know, I wish we had this scene from the, the clo- like a close, per- uh, close third-person point of view from somebody who was trained to read minds because we know that's a skill in this world. When trying to get the geese back into the hamper, I would love to hear all of those voices in their heads going back and forth. Like, oh you God. better not get back in there. Like, oh, yeah, bitch, just watch me. And like the yeah, I dare that. you not to get in <laughs> that hamper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, I like to picture that little web foot just going in there and then just, like, <laughs> paf, right down there. Like, yeah, that's where that goes, right there, you know? And then that last um, line of the geese. Amazing. The geese replaced themselves with six pigs and vanished. Yeah. <laughs> I'm half convinced Diana Wynne-Jones wrote this whole book so she could arrive at that line. I know, I know. It has been smiling so <laughs> stupidly. To take take that sentence out of the book and just oh look at God. it objectively. Would you? Uh, okay. <laughs> In the, just a few hundred pages, she gave us the context to get the geese replaced themselves with six pigs and vanished. All right, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just... All right, all right Danny, oh. what's your second favorite? And then we'll go back to Rob for his second okay. favorite. Yeah, okay. Uh, Second, I would say when Scales shows up and helps save the day, um, hurting the criminal army. <laughs> I just, yeah. I felt so stressed out with poor like kids trying to herd these horrible people who've been exiled. Yeah. Oh, and then Scales yeah. comes in. And he's like, "Oh, all right, scum, left, right, left, right." <laughs> it was, it was really good. Yeah. And Kit's nice. all offended yeah. because Kit's used to being the biggest one, and now Scales is there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Rob, okay, your second favorite now. Blade getting more and more frustrated as people, various parties, keep showing up. <laughs> uh, him. You can't okay, this is quit. my second favorite as well. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I know! It's <laughs> <laughs> just so good. Oh, uh, yeah, like each each successive person. And it, it, it even it starts with him arriving, and there's this just random dude. Yeah. The king. He's like, who are you? What are you doing here? What is going on? Barnabas is drunk. Like, it's just, oh my gosh, it's just such a comedy of errors. Yeah, and then and then it gets all wrapped up where you realize in the end, Dirk's like, not an error. This is where I wanted to move the camp anyway. After talking with High Priest Umru, yeah, like, (laughs) oh, so good. So, Danny, what's your favorite? Okay. Uh, The part where I felt like the book really hit its stride when Mr. Chesney visits Dirk home for the first time and he's giving them all their pamphlets and Kit is trying his little tactic and um, Dirk is like thinking about these ants that he's going to make because he just can't deal with it right now. (laughs) I, I just that scene was so well written for me. And even though I've read this book before, it just felt like I was reading it for the first time again, when I was reading that scene, it was so good. Nice. 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 That's, nice. that's always a good feeling. Like when you reread a book and it doesn't lose anything yeah. on a reread yeah. where it's like it, it, the, the writing is so sparkling. It, it just, it hits the same buttons, you know? I mean, it has I been 20 years, but... <laughs> well, yeah, that, I, I'm sure that helps. 
Yeah. Uh, but yeah, my number one was Maris Feast. Ooh. Uh, there was something about this scene. The, the juxtaposition of a whole troop of people who are enchanted. But they're all being, like, illuminated about, like, this is, this is what's going on with all these tours. This mm-hmm. is how horrible this is. You're, you're destroying our world. Let me give you the statistics on how many cities get burned and, and, and the harvests that get ruined. And, like, and then throughout all of it, Blade is, like, trying to reconnect with his family, <laughs> but he can't quite do it because he has to wait for the bigger picture to be painted in. Mm-hmm. You know, and... That was the moment for me when I got hooked, where I was like, I don't want to put the book down. Wow. Yeah. So it's a weird scene, but it just worked for me. It really did. Yeah. Nice. So, so yeah, like overall, I'm really glad we read this. Good. I'm really glad that we took my suggestion. (laughs) Yes. Cheers to Danny. Tip my proverbial hat to that one. Yes. <laughs> and uh, speaking of cheers, final hey, draft. Hey, hey nice hey. segue. So I, I wasn't drinking anything worth talking about. I'm, you know, just water. I was drinking a beer, but it's not one worth talking about. So. Well, I'm drinking Dirk's pre-roasted coffee beans. At, well, not really Dirk's, but <laughs> I'm drinking Tanzanian peaberry coffee. Delicious. Oh. The pea berries are mutated. So pea berries are special coffee beans that um, grow in the coffee cherry, which is the fruit of the coffee plant. And instead of having two beans that grow together and they have the flat side, the pea berry is grown on its own. So there's only one. And so it grows in a round shape. And they're kind of rare. And so harvesters have to go and grab the mutated berries and put them in a separate batch and they sell them as a separate type of coffee. And I thought that was very thematically, uh, uh, you know, relevant to Dirk's nice. coffee oh, yeah. beans. Pea berry coffee, rare-ish mutated berries. That's yeah. what I wrote down. Yeah, yeah go so ahead gonna have and to, look I'm going to write your name down and you're going to have to explain this to me in about three months when I find this file. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, so I learned something today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea this kind of coffee existed. Yeah. It's That's one of my favorites. Cool. I get pea berry all the time. <laughs> nice. I don't have to try That's that. That's awesome. Well, what I am holding in my hand right here is a can from Dark Sky Brewing Company. Okay. This is a Russian Imperial Stout. 13% ABV with added coconut, cinnamon, and vanilla. Ooh. And I think... Uh, I think Dirk would have um, like traumatic flashbacks oh, no. when hearing this word. Oh no! Turbulence. Oh. Yeah, that's <laughs> rough. That's rough. <laughs> I did pull out a note and write at one point when the when the dragon just shows up and roasts Dirk. In, I was like, <laughs> what? It's it's hell? nothing but bumps in the road for this guy. What right? happened to this story for this guy? Out that he got taken out, he was injured, and out. Wow, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun through and through. It was, still was a lot of fun. Hey, at it the was. end, he ends up riding the dragon That's, and okay, leading his armies for real. So worth it. Dragon shows up, wants to burn me. Let's be riding. <laughs> yeah, 
So I think that brings us to the end of our conversation on this episode. Uh, you know, next up on episode 154 of Thinking Out Loud is A Drink Before We Die. Mm. This is a short story, uh, a prequel to Low Town by Daniel Polanski. Uh, we're going to be heading on into the Low Town trilogy. And this is a, a good introduction to the world. So we're going to be checking that one out. And uh, as always, if you want to support the show, check us out on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash inkingoutloud, or on Coffee, ko-fi.com slash inkingoutloud. We got all kinds of fun perks on Patreon, you know. Uh, in fact, I recently uh, provided a free PDF download of about 250 pages of the last book that I yeah, wrote. Yeah, you did. Woo! Um, uh, yeah, that was, that was an interesting... An interesting step. I haven't publicly released that much of a book ever before, so uh, yeah, we, we got we got fun stuff. Um, but as always, I've been your host Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host Rob Santos, right here, and our special guest, wonderful artist, top tier, Danielle <laughs> Felcandy. Today, thank you again. I always have fun doing these with you guys this was a really fun one i think i laughed more on this episode than i have <laughs> on any other <laughs> except geez. for maybe ready player one. <laughs> oh no whoa Shots <laughs> fired at the end of this episode 153 wow oh, yeah if you haven't listened to our ready player one episode make sure you do that doesn't matter if you've read the book go listen to the episode <laughs> fair, fair oh man so yeah thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time